in uh, December of 2002, Jim and Jewel Whitaker won the West Virginia Powerball Lottery. They won $314.9 million. They called it at that time the best Christmas gift they had ever received. Was it really? Well, here's some of the things that happened to Jim and Jewel in the next few years. Jim had a briefcase stolen from the front seat of his truck with $545,000 in it. He was arrested for drunk driving multiple times. He was arrested once for assault. He lost the foundation that he had started because there were legal issues, and so it was closed down. He was sued by three women at a local racetrack that he frequented often. Another time, he had another $80,000 stolen out of his car. You think he would have learned after the first time not to carry cash like that. Their home was broken into more than once, and jewelry, artwork, and a safe were all stolen. And here's the worst part. I don't know if it was a direct result of the money, but uh, sometime after they had won this prize, his 18-year-old granddaughter uh, was found dead of a substance abuse. Do you think looking back they would still say it was the best Christmas ever? Money has powerful effects on us, doesn't it? In fact, money sometimes tempts us to pick up a mask and wear it. Money tempts us to become financial fakers. Last week we started this series called Masquerade. And you know, life is a lot like living in a giant masquerade party. I guess we started the series two weeks ago, sorry. And uh, it's like living in a giant masquerade party because there are so many people who are wearing masks, pretending to be something that they are not. Sometimes they're hiding from God. Sometimes they're hiding from other people. And one of the masks that we are often tempted to pick up and to wear is the mask of money. We become financial fakers. The writer of Proverbs says it this way in the Bible, Proverbs 13, 7. One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. I know a lot of people that are financial fakers. There are people that are pretending they are able to live a certain lifestyle that their income cannot sustain. There are other people who are struggling to make ends meet, but they pretend like everything is okay. Or there are people who are losing their house, but their pride, their mask, keeps them from letting anybody know that they are struggling. We wear masks. We have become financial pretenders. Money is a powerful force. And today I want to look at why it's so powerful, but also I want to look at how we could take this mask off, how it is that we can overcome this powerful force that money seems to have on us. And to do that, I want to look at a story that Jesus told. It's recorded in Luke chapter 12. And so if you brought your Bibles or your iPad or smartphone, why don't you find your way to Luke chapter 12. Jesus is in the middle of a long teaching here. You teaches about several different things to some crowds of people. And then we come to this uh, passage in Luke chapter 12. If you're looking for the book of Luke, it's in the New Testament part of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you get to the book of John, you've gone too far. And we're going to start with uh, chapter 12, and we're going to uh, dive right into this. And, and here's the story as it's going. Now, Jesus, as I said, he's been, he's been teaching for a while as we pick it up in verse 13. 
okay? Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, if you go back and read the preceding verses, this has nothing to do with anything that Jesus has been talking about. But it was part of their culture that if they had a dispute with somebody, even a family member, that they would go to a rabbi and they would ask the rabbi to make a decision for them. And so they recognized Jesus with all of his teaching as a rabbi, somebody that was trustworthy to make this kind of decision. And this guy says, tell my brother to share the inheritance. And really what he's saying is, again, in their culture, the older brother would be given the inheritance, at least two-thirds of it. Sometimes all of the inheritance for all of the family. And then the oldest brother would decide how that got passed down to everybody else. Do you think you have some arguments about inheritance in your family? Can you imagine? Now here's what Jesus says in verse 14. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? It's almost as if Jesus is a little annoyed. What What are you doing asking me this question in the middle of what I'm talking about? But Jesus goes on to answer him in verse 15. Then he said to him, Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. The word watch out there or the words watch out, it's the idea of somebody who's on sentry duty, a guard standing his post who must be very alert because the enemy prowls closely nearby. And so he must be fully alert, fully prepared for whatever might happen. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink. And be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now, before we go any further, let's be clearly make sure we understand. Jesus is not saying that having some nice things or having some money is wrong. But what He says there, if that becomes more important than being rich toward God, then we have a problem. Now, with that understanding in mind, let me say some things about what's taught here. Money, money, is the number one competitor for our hearts. It is, isn't it? Money is the number one competitor for our hearts because... We have placed a high value on what money promises to do for us. You see, money lies to us about what it can do for us. There are three big promises that money makes in our culture to us. Money, first of all, says, I can make you happy. If you have money, or a little bit more money at least, then you can be happy. The second promise that money makes, money promises to make us significant. If I have money, then I'll have significance. And the last thing is that money promises security. If you have enough money, then you'll be secure. How many of you would readily admit this morning money can't buy happiness? Yeah, nearly all of you around the room, you would say that. How many of you, though, would say, if you're honest, 
that if you had just a little bit more, it would make your life a whole lot better. I'll be honest. Now, here's the thing. There is a part of us that knows the truth. But emotionally, we have bought in to the lies about money. Our affection for things proves it. Uh, You know, somebody says, you know, if I just had a new countertop in my kitchen, you know, I'd feel so much better about how it looks and I'd have more people into my home. I, I would be more friendly. I'd practice hospitality. I would let God use my home if I just had those new countertops. Or somebody says, you know, those jeans are really expensive, but they make my butt look so good. You know, and if I just had those, I'd be such a more confident person. Or somebody says, you know, if I could just drive that car. I mean, people, when I drove, if I would drive up in that car compared to the thing that I drive, people would respect me. Or somebody says, you know, if I just had a little more money in my 401k, I'd feel a lot more secure about the future. And if I could just have a little bit more, a little bit more security, you know, then I would, then I'd feel like I could really help others. But you ask anybody how much it takes to be happy or secure, and you know what they'll say? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Because we have believed the lies of money. Money promises to do for us what only God can do for us. Listen again to what Jesus says in verse 15. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Be on your guard against greed. Because Jesus Jesus says greed can wreak havoc in your life, can't it? And, and you know what? At some level, all of us struggle with greed. Our affections prove it. And Jesus says, watch out, be on guard against it. The word greed there can be uh, translated, it's the idea of an insatiable desire or thirst, an unquenchable desire for more. And uh, this is what greed can do to people. Second fiddle. First it was Peter, and now it's you. 
You know I'm braver than both of you. Why do you get pieces of swords? I deserve a kingdom of my own. I deserve to rule. If you think you're so brave, prove it! Stop it! Both of you! Look at yourselves. Can't you see what's happening? This place has tempted you. It's bewitching you. This is exactly what Coriatin was talking about. Let's get out of here. Now, that's the extreme of what greed can do in our lives. But there, is, there, are, there are a lot of subtle things that greed, our affection for more in our lives, this mask can do for us. For one, greed seems to um, make you captive to envy. Greed makes you captive to envy. Now, when I was growing up, my brother and I often expressed greed toward each other. Maybe you've had this experience with your kids or growing up. You know, we're, we're driving in the car, maybe on vacation. Hey, Mom, he's got his arm on my side of the car. Tell him to get his arm back on his side. This is my side. Or, hey, why does he get more ice cream than I do? Or, Mom, his piece of cake is bigger than my piece of cake. Now, fortunately, we outgrow that, right? I mean, did anybody walk across the parking lot this morning and look at another somebody else's car and say, wow. I'd look really good driving that. Oh man, that guy's got an iPad. I need an iPad. Or why don't we have a pool? Oh, why why do they have a pool? Greed makes us captive to envy. The Bible expresses it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter five whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Greed makes you captive to envy. Here's another one. Greed often leads to indebtedness. Greed often leads to indebtedness. Our insatiable desire for more stuff drives us to buy things that we really can't afford. And we plunge ourselves into debt. Did you know that the average American household spends 110% of their annual income each year? Now, do the math on that. We spend more than we make. And we plunge ourselves into debt. And why do we do it? Because we think, we believe the lies of money. We think just a little bit more of something will give us happiness or security or significance, and we hide behind the mask of money. Did you know I Googled this week uh, personal storage in the greater Cape Coral area? I found 149 of those storage facilities like these. 149 of these places. Do you think that speaks just a little bit to our desire for more and more and more? Greed leads to indebtedness. Jesus said this when He was talking though in verse 15, the second part again. He says, A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Don't believe the lies. A man's life does not consist in the abundance 
of His possessions. Here's another thing that greed does. It focuses on me. It focuses on me. I want to read part of this uh, parable that Jesus tells again, this story. And I want you to listen to the, the farmer as he talks in this story. And I want you to count with me. You count out loud the number of times that he refers to I, me, myself, anything like that, okay? So you ready? You guys count. Count out loud. I'll read the story starting in verse 17. He thought to himself. Okay, well, don't count that one, okay, because that's Jesus. Sorry. Should have clarified that. But you're with me. That's really good. Okay, so start counting now. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you, or that's really I, have plenty of good things laid up for many years. How many was it? Yeah, I, I, yeah whatever you said. It's all about him. This guy has eye disease. And you know what? If we're not careful, we fall into the same trap. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I have. Look at what I possess. Look at me. And here's what begins to happen if we're not careful. If we're not careful, we begin to think that my worth or my value or how useful I am depends on my possessions. Jesus said, your value does not depend on the amount of your stuff. You are far more valuable than that to Jesus. Here's another one. Greed causes a loss of eternal perspective. This man was so focused on himself that he gave no thought about eternity. And what does God say to him because of that? God says, you're a fool. You're a fool. Because you're giving no thought to eternity. You're so focused on yourself. You're so focused on building your own empire. You're a fool. I heard about a uh, stockbroker that uh, ran into a genie. You know, one of those stories. But listen. Um, So... The genie says, you got one request. The stockbroker thinks for a minute, and then he says, you know what, my one request is, I'd like to see a newspaper from one week from now. I'd like to see, be able to read the newspaper one week in advance. His thinking was, if I can see what the stock market's going to do over the, next, the course of the next week, I can reposition my funds, and I can make a whole bunch of money at the end of that week. So the genie granted his wish and he took that paper and he studied the different stocks and he worked out a plan and he kept reworking the plan thinking about how he could best capitalize to make as much money as possible. And after he really worked at that for a while, he thought, I need a little break. And so he started paging through the rest of the newspaper. And you know where this is headed, right? He found his name listed in the obituary. Now listen, seriously. If you were that stockbroker, would you change your strategy? If you realized you don't know for sure how many days you have left, does that change the way that you think? Does it change our strategy? Jesus said this in verse 20. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Philipson said, He who provides for this life 
but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment, but a fool forever. Let me ask you. Two weeks ago, just after 5 o'clock in the evening, do you think the people of Joplin, Missouri were thinking in advance of this storm that so many of them would lose everything that they possessed? That their homes and their possessions would be scattered for miles, destroyed, and it would be gone? And do you think that the 138 people who lost their lives on that evening so tragically had any thought that my days are numbered, this could be my last day on earth? I'm guessing there were some of them who had more of the mindset of this farmer in Jesus' story and the mindset of so many of us in our culture today. They had believed the lies of money and they thought their happiness and their significance and their security was in their possessions. And suddenly they have realized they're not. What do you value? What do you value? Are you hiding behind the mask of money? Have you believed the lies? Let me suggest a few things we could do to try to take the mask off and stop living those lies. Here's the first thing. Make God your deepest desire. Make God your deepest desire. Romans one twenty five in the New Testament says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they started worshipping the things that this can buy. Created things. Instead of the Creator. If you're wondering where I got a $50 bill, it was from my son. Um, I don't have any $50 bills. They exchanged the truth for a lie. They worshipped created things rather than the Creator. And we read that and think, well, how could you do that? And yet there are times that we have a greater desire for what money can buy than we do for the things of God. We have exchanged the, the truth for a lie. And we've started worshipping created things rather than the Creator. Proverbs 15.16 says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. In modern language, better to drive that broken down car that's paid for a little longer and focus on God than to drive that expensive new car and be trapped in financial bondage. Here's another one, verse 17, Proverbs 15. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. Some modern language. Better to eat vegetable soup on a paid-for table than steak and lobster with divorce because you fought over money. Proverbs 12.9 Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than pretend to be somebody and have no food. Modern language. Quit pretending. Quit giving in to the lies. Take off the mask. And decide today that you will make God your deepest desire and that you will come to the realization. See, you know what our problem is? It is not a financial problem. It's a spiritual problem. 
Because we no longer realize what we have in Jesus. That He is our true source of security and significance and joy and happiness. So let's make Him our deepest desire. Let's desire Him more than we do the things that money can buy. Here's a second suggestion. Practice generosity. Practice generosity. Do you notice that when you read about this farmer, it says nothing about him sharing or giving? It's all about himself, isn't it? About, I'm going to build bigger barns for my stuff. Nothing about giving it to others. And again, what does God say? He says, you're a fool. Do you know that the average American Christian gives less than 2.5% of their annual income to God? Less than 2.5%. And yet, in the Bible, God very clearly says to those who follow Him, I want you to give 10% of your income to Me. Now why? Because God needs our money? (laughs) Not really. It has far more to do with what giving does for us than it is about just the act of giving 10% of our income. You see, when I give, I am saying to God, I trust You more than I trust my money. I am choosing to place my trust in You. I am choosing to recognize that my security, my significance, my happiness is found in my relationship with You and not in my money. Peg and I, since we have been married, we started giving at 10%. And since we have been married, we have very, very slowly been increasing the percentage of our giving. Do you know why? Because I easily get sucked into the temptation to believe the lies of money and to put my trust in my money for my security more than God. And giving for me and for all of us helps keep that in some balance and perspective. One more. Live your life with eternity in mind. Live your life with eternity in mind. Again, this farmer gave no thought to the fact that his life, the days of his life could be numbered. He was focused on the here and the now and eat, drink, and be merry. There was no thought to the fact that I ought to prepare for eternity. Max Lucado tells a great story. He says, picture the fish who somehow is washed ashore on the sandy beach. And this fish, as he's on the beach, sucking for air and flopping around, you know, he's very uncomfortable there, right? I mean, is he happy on the beach? Is he happy being outside of the water while he's trying to suck air to survive and he's flopping around? No, he's not. But what if you take a big wad of cash and you give it to the fish on the shore? Is he suddenly happy and comfortable now? No. What if you say to the fish, hey, we'll build you a big three-story beachfront condo with all of the latest, greatest conveniences in it. The fish suddenly comfortable and happy there? I don't think so. What if you say to the fish, hey, here, here's, a, here's a Corona and a copy of Playfish magazine. Oh, that tastes great. Look at the tail on that fish. Suddenly he happy and comfortable? No. 
He's still sucking air and flopping around trying to figure out how to survive because he wasn't made for the beach, for the shore. He was made for the ocean. And if we think that we're going to be comfortable and we're going to be happy and that if we can throw some money at the problem or we can build a beachfront condo and suddenly we'll be happy or we can participate in other things that I hope you don't participate in that I mentioned, you know, that suddenly we'll find comfort and happiness. No. Because we weren't created for life here on earth. We were created for eternity with God. And we will not ultimately be comfortable or be satisfied or be fully fulfilled until we're in heaven with God. And we deceive ourselves if we think a little bit more, just a little bit more, is going to give us happiness. One of the people who tragically died just two weeks ago during the tornado in Joplin, Missouri, was a young lady named Natalia Pueblo. She was a freshman at Ozark Christian College in Joplin. She was from Carthage, Missouri. That's a picture of her. And uh, she was tragically killed in the tornado. I, I honestly don't know how. As I said, she was a student there. And Doug Welch is a professor at Ozark Christian College. And he wrote this a few days after she had passed. He writes, I still had a stack of papers to grade when the tornado hit. Today I looked on the top of the stack and there was Natalia's paper about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a good paper, deserving an A. But she knows this truth far better now. You know what? I seems from what I've read about Natalia that her life was not focused on finding comfort here on earth. She had looked towards eternity. And she had placed her hope and her trust in Jesus Christ. And she has discovered that it's a whole lot more comfortable living in heaven than it ever was here on earth. Jesus said, A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Friends, don't keep wearing the money mask. Let's don't be financial fakers. Don't believe the lies of money. Let's determine today to make God our deepest desire. Hey, it's okay to have some stuff. And it's okay if you've got some money in your pocket. That's great. But just don't let don't believe the lie that that's what's going to give you happiness or security or significance. It won't. God, would you help us to take off the mask? God, we want you to be our deepest desire. God, I know in my life there are days, there are times when I believe the lies. And I think if I just had a little bit more, God, I always know that doesn't bring what I'm really looking for. So God, would you help me? Would you help everyone in this room to be able to see right through the lies of money and possessions and God, to make you our deepest desire? We want to be rich toward you, God. And would you remind us that our life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. It consists in following you with all of our hearts.
Help us, God, to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.